We've been hearing over the last uh, few weeks about the different types of, of jobs and, and roles that our, our people have, and it's been uh, cool to, to hear what uh, people have, um, what, what they do during the week uh, when we don't see them on Sunday. What are they doing? And so uh, it's cool to hear that. Uh, I want you to think about this morning, what, what was your first job? What was your first job? Um, I asked this question at 9 a.m., and it was kind of cool because, um, and I asked permission to share this uh, as well, but uh, Karen Crane, if y'all know Karen, her face just lit up. I mean, it just lit up when I asked that question. I was like, oh, this is intriguing. And so I had her, her share, and it was so cool. I, I, I thought I'd share this with you, but uh, she worked at this place called the Thunderbird uh, Movie Theater in Chicago. Right, Chicago, Illinois, back in the day. All right, I didn't ask what day, but back in the day, and uh, it was so cool. She she said I got to work the concession stand. I I sold candy and I got to make popcorn. But she said back in that day, you had to go uh, upstairs to make the popcorn, and they had what was called this. Check this out. This this is one of the reasons why I wanted to share it. They had what's called a dumb waiter. And some of you guys are going like this, and some of you guys are going, oh, that's, that's going to be interesting. So a dumb waiter. It's not a person, all right? It is a pulley system. And so they would make the popcorn upstairs, and they, it, would, it would come down and from being made down to where they were, and they would sell it. So it was called a dumb waiter, all right? So that doesn't give us permission to use that when we're out at lunch today. For any sort of reason whatsoever. But anyway, I, she was so excited. She was so excited. And um, she said she didn't make much, but she was excited. Uh, she got to have uh, free movies, and it was also a place to do her homework as well. But some of you guys, uh, you think about your first job and, and what you did. Um, one of the first jobs I did was I was a, a soccer referee or a soccer linesman because you could start working I think when you were like 14 maybe even younger and so that was pretty cool and and uh, learned to put up with uh, soccer moms and uh, not just soccer moms but those yelling dads and you know just all of that so it was kind of fun it was cool uh, but maybe we remember our, our first first jobs do you remember Jesus' first job what was Jesus' first job he's a carpenter right and uh, that's what he did. That's what he did. He followed in line of what his daddy did, and, and he worked a, a blue-collar job. And we'll see more and hear more about that later. But today, what I would love for us to do is take the encouragement from Hebrews chapter 12. And so if you want to turn there, we're going to look just at two verses. We're going to let these two verses just, just speak into our lives this morning and specifically into... Um, our, our jobs, our roles, our, our work, the work that we do during the week. And the, the goal of today is to let the gospel influence our work. Because it, it should. It does. And so we want to fix our eyes on Jesus. We want to see how gospel faith impacts our work and what we do during the week. So where, where have we been in this series? We've been at this for three weeks now. It's our fourth. We've seen that God is a worker. From the beginning, God created all things. 
and he valued his work. He worked with joy and in service, right? He, he created everything, and he looked at everything and said it was good, and on the last day, the sixth day, he said it was very good, and then he rested. He gave Adam and Eve jobs when he created man in the garden. Uh, he gave them jobs to do. He gave them dominion over God's creation as his co-workers, um, and we see that we saw that work is not a consequence of sin. It wasn't a consequence of, of the curse in Genesis 3, but work instead is a gift, right? We see it in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 before the fall. It's a gift to be our joy and, and to serve others as we work. And then Adam and Eve, we saw last week in Genesis 3, fell into sin in the garden, um, and we saw with Adam specifically, it was a failure of his dominion, a failure of his work. And, and sin entered into the human race, and work was cursed because of a rebellion along with other things. Um, but we need to know that the story does not end there. It doesn't end there. Um, and that's why Jesus came. And that's the hope of the gospel is that we're not lost in our sin. We're not cursed forever and have to live with just being separated from God Forever. Instead, we have hope, and that's what the gospel is all about. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to redeem, to purchase back that which was lost with his life. And so he came to redeem things. He came to redeem us. He came to redeem even work, to give it meaning, to give it purpose. And so think about Jesus, right, this morning, and think about work First of all, I want you to know that Jesus came to be what Adam failed to be in the garden. He came to be a perfect image bearer of God here on earth. He came to be all that we fail to be in our lives. Just like Adam, Jesus was given a job to do. Um, he came to show how to be image bearers even in our work. And so you think about what Jesus did for his first job. He was a carpenter. Um, he worked with his hands. Um, probably with wood, but more likely with stone and, and rock. And so it was hard work. He followed in line with his dad like many did uh, for many years and throughout history. They would do what dad did for uh, their work, and Jesus did that. And so you think about the Son of God left heaven. He was wrapped uh, in flesh. He was God. But he had an ordinary job in an ordinary town, and he worked with ordinary People And so you think about Jesus, he had a blue-collar job for many years. And we don't obviously hear about that, right? But we know that's what he did. I want you to think about what Jesus did in his first job real quick this morning. Do you think Jesus wasn't called to be a carpenter? You ever thought about that? Sometimes we think about our job and we say, man, I wasn't called to do this, right? I think Jesus was called to be a carpenter. I think that was part of God's plan. Do you think Jesus maybe was stuck with being a carpenter because he didn't pray enough? No. <laughs> no, Jesus prayed a lot, right? But maybe you've been in that place, or maybe you've heard somebody say, well, I, you know, I haven't prayed enough, or I'm not spiritual enough, and that's why I'm stuck with the job that I have. Or maybe someone has said, hey, listen, you know, this job I have surely can't be a part of God's plan right? It, it seems insignificant, or maybe it's just ordinary. But, but you think about Jesus' first job, right? It, it was part of God's plan. It was most definitely part of God's 
plan, and God loved him. And so, so when you think about our work and, and, and the work that we have, just like Jesus, whatever the job is, right, it has meaning. And it's to be a testimony to all. And, and that's what Jesus did. And that's what it means to work. That's, that's why we work. That's the, why we have the jobs that we have, is that they would testify. They would be a testimony of, of God. And that's how Jesus worked. And as Jesus transitioned out of his work as being a carpenter, he became a full-time teacher, full-time preacher. He, he healed people. Eventually, he died on the cross and rose from the dead and, and sit at the right hand of God in all authority where he is to Day. And so when you think about Jesus and you think about the work he did, from being a carpenter, from being a teacher, healer, from being savior of the world and dying on the cross, the work that he did, he was underpaid and underappreciated. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like you're underpaid, underappreciated at your job for the work that you did? No doubt Jesus was the most underpaid, underappreciated worker in the world. Yet, he stayed faithful. He stayed faithful in the work that he did. Why? Because he knew God would take care of him. And so Jesus, he came and he did the work of the Father. He came and redeemed to purchase back those and that which was lost. To purchase back you and I with his life. But also to redeem work as well. And so those who believe in the gospel this morning, those who believe in Jesus Christ, My prayer this morning is just like the writer of Hebrews says, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, our Redeemer, right, and our model, our example um, of how we're to live, but even how we are to work. And so I want us to look at these two verses, and and as we look at them, I want us to see how it influences our work, how, how those who have believed in the gospel, and how we have this gospel faith that now should and does impact our work. And so listen to what Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says. Therefore, the writer says, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so when you think about this text, the writer wants us to think about a runner, a runner who's running a race. And just like any race, we grow tired in the race. We can grow weary. And the writer of Hebrews is rallying the runners of faith, rallying the runners who have faith in Jesus Christ so that they will not grow weary in their souls, that they will not lose heart, that they will not lose faith, that they would not walk away from Christ, but instead they would continue to run faithfully, that they would not give out, that they would not run out of gas. And many things can cause us to do that. Many things can, can encumber us, can weigh us down, can, can tempt us to get off path, to, can tempt us to throw in the towel and to give up. Even our jobs can influence us that way, can impact us that way. Where we work, they can cause us to drift or cause us to run off path. And so the writer here is encouraging them 
to not give up, not to drift off course, but to keep running the course that the Lord has set before them. And so this even impacts where we work, and I especially think where we work. And so gospel faith, the faith that the writers, including them, uh, encouraging them have, impacts what we do each day, impacts the jobs that we go to. The question is how? How do we see that? And so I want to look at these two verses, and I want us to see five things. And some of these things, um, you might say, well, we've, we've kind of talked about that. We have, but I want you to see it through the lens of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. And so look at Hebrews 12. Let's look at it specifically, a familiar text to many of us, but I want us to see it through this lens this morning. Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And so here's the first thing I want us to see this morning. As we look at these great cloud of witnesses, who are they? What does this mean? I want us to see that gospel faith gives us a new identity. It gives you and I a new identity, and we'll see how in just a second. But when we think about what the writer says here, that since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. So as we seek to run the Christian life with endurance, we're motivated by witnesses that have gone before us, people, saints of old, that have run the race before us. And so that first word there in verse one is what? The word therefore. So when you see the word therefore, what do you do? You ask what that therefore is there for, right? And that therefore is there because it wants you to look back, right? It it points back to what the writer has said before. And so it points us back to Hebrews 11 where it talks about faith. It talks about hope. It talks about those who've run the race, this long list uh, uh, of men and women who have run uh, their race for Jesus Christ and have been faithful in their walk with the Lord. Um, and so we'll look at that in a second. But one of the things that these witnesses are, are doing is they're giving us a testimony of their life. They're telling us something. They're telling us that by faith we can finish the race too, just as they did. And so these mentioned in Hebrews 11 were remembered by something. They were remembered by their faith. What's interesting about this list in Hebrews 11, have we ever thought about what these people did? They had jobs. They had work that they did daily. Think about it, right? Look at Moses, right? Listen to what it says about Moses. It says, by faith, in verse 23 of Hebrews 11, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. They were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith, you see a continual theme here? By faith he kept the Passover, the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. And so you think about Moses, right? In Exodus 1 we learned that he was... A shepherd, right? He was a shepherd. We see that he's leading animals, and then now we see God calls him to lead people. 
And, and what do we see with Moses? He was remembered by what? His faith. He was remembered about his trust in the Lord every step of the way. Was Moses perfect? By no means, right? But, but he was one who trusted God. And so what we see with Moses is he wasn't defined by his work, but his faith, his relationship with God. And for too many, our, our work, our, our job title becomes our identity. And, and if we let it do that, it will ruin us. It will destroy us eventually if we continue to let that be the case. You see, our identity as believers is, isn't, is not in what we do each day. It's not about the workplace we go to. It's not about the, the title we have, but our identity is who we are, right? And here's what Scripture says we are if we're in Jesus Christ this morning. John 1, 12, Jesus says this, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So Jesus, if we believe in Jesus, we have become sons and daughters of God. We become children of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any was in Christ, if they trust in Christ, they have a relationship with Christ, God has called them from darkness now to light, from death to life. God has drawn them unto himself. It's his doing. He saves us. And he makes us now what? He's a new creation, Paul says. He's new. He's brand new. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. John 3, you're born Again, this is your new identity. You are children of God. So we have a new identity. And God wants us to be remembered by that, not by your job title. And so your identity is not in what you do, but it's in who you are. It's in who you belong to. You belong to God. And we need to have that kind of thinking, or otherwise our, our jobs will eventually lead to our room. And so our identity is significant. Uh, the second thing I want us to see, according to this text, is, is about our gospel faith that we have. It, it gives us a, a new idea or this new concept of the value of work. And we've talked a little bit about that even week one out of the gates. But as we have seen, work is important to God. All work is. And so think about the scriptures and how God calls his people to all different types of vocation. Not just Ministry, right? Not just uh, vocational ministry. Think about Abel. Go back to Hebrews 11. Look at verse 4. You think about Abel. A and one verse is mentioned about him, but, but listen to what it says about Abel. And, and who was Abel, right? He, he was, it says in uh, Genesis chapter 4 that he was a keeper of the flock. And so, like Moses was originally, he was a shepherd as well. One thing you see in the Old Testament, there, there wasn't a whole lot of choices back then, right? Um, Cain was a tiller of the ground. He, he worked the ground. So it was, it was like you, you, you farmed or you were a shepherd or probably did both. I mean, that's pretty much what uh, you did back then. And so Abel did that. But listen to what it says in Hebrews 11.4 about Abel. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts and through faith, though he is dead, listen to this, he still speaks. The, the testimony of Abel still speaks. It, it still speaks today as part of that great cloud of witness of one who had faith, simple faith, 
You think about Abel and, and back then, right? And, and what he did. He, 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 I think it speaks to, to how he worked and, and, and what he did uh, with his uh, fruit, what, what, he, what was produced. He, he worked unto God. He recognized that God was the provider of all things. And, and so his testimony of, of faith and even worship back in Genesis 4 still speaks today. And so, not specifically mentioned here in Hebrews 11 as well, um, is, is another guy. And, and this guy, when the people of Israel got called back from slavery, uh, from uh, Babylon, uh, back to Jerusalem, what did they need? They needed a wall built, okay? And so, who's this guy? This guy's Nehemiah. They needed an engineer. They, they needed someone to manage the building. And so they called Nehemiah. They appointed him to, te- to the task. And there were others who were also on that construction crew that, that he called and he gave oversight to. But these construction crew workers would work on the walls to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. There were even security guards and security workers who would watch the walls and the building process as the walls were being built and keep enemies out and people from attacking them. And so you think about the different types of jobs, and they were important. They had value from Abel to Nehemiah to the construction crew to the security guards on the wall of Jerusalem. And then you think back to Moses as well and the people when they were wandering in the wilderness what did God want built? He wanted a tabernacle. He wanted a tabernacle built where his presence would dwell before the people. And he wanted it to be perfect. He wanted it to be beautiful. He wanted it to be detailed. And so what did he do? He had Moses call up artists to create it. And so when you think about work and you think about the different vocations and jobs, God calls some, of course, to pastor and preach. But he also calls some to be entrepreneurs, to be businessmen be businesswomen, to be custodians, to be construction workers, to be artists, to be doctors. He calls people to their professions. Why? Because work is important to God, all jobs. And there is no classism in the view of God. We shouldn't see work as, as you know, white collar being more important than blue collar. You think about Jesus being that carpenter, that blue collar type of worker. There is no classism. We must see work like God does, having value and worth. Otherwise, if we don't, here's what happens, right? Work becomes very trivial. It it, it can come to the point where it bores us, and that's not a good place to be, right? We must see work as God sees it. We must value it as God sees it. So that's what our faith is to do. That's how the gospel is to impact our work. The third thing I want us to see is about gospel faith is this. According to Hebrews 12, it gives you and I this new moral compass for our life, right? But especially for our place of work as well, a place where we spend a lot of time at and how we do our work. And so look at Hebrews chapter 12 again and listen to what the writer says He says this, he says, with those great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so what we have right here is really a command to take a hard look at our life and see how we are running. How are we running? How are we living as witnesses of Jesus in our life, but especially in our workplace. 
Now think about this. Where you work, the people that you're around all day, do they know that you're a Christian? Do they know that you're a follower of Christ? You've been there for a while. They, they should, right? They should. It should be evident. Um, but what's important with our work is our character. Character is important, especially in our place of work. And if we don't have this moral compass, and when I say a moral compass, what I'm thinking of is like, I didn't put this on the screen, but like First Peter, right? Chapter 1, 15 through 16, where we're told to be holy as God is holy. That's our moral compass. And so we're to, to think through what, what God would do, what Jesus would do, to be holy as he lived. Um, but if we're not, then what will happen is our place of work will tempt us into immorality. It will tempt us um, into sin, and eventually it will corrupt us. It will influence us. And so we are responsible not only for the quality of our work, but also for our faithfulness to God in the way we pursue that work and for our own good character while we work. And so being a Christian doesn't mean our work can't be excellent. doesn't mean there's, there's not competition, right, and things like that. But we should, as well, hold a high view of our standards, our high moral standards. And so what that means is we should not lie. Even though others may, we should not. We should not cheat, even though others might. We should not cut corners, even others might do that. But we must seek to be the most trustworthy in our places of work, the most ethical and the most morally pure as well. And so what does the writer say? We must put aside everything that impedes our running, anything that holds us back, any immorality, um, anything that seeks to influence us to get off path or to grow weary in running for Christ. And so there are sins that entangles us, that trips us up, uh, from running with perseverance and making us run for Christ difficult. And especially in our places of work, it's all around us, right? I mean, we don't get to pick and choose, at least most of us, we don't get to pick and choose who we get to work with, right? And so you think about all the different types of people we work with and all the people that are there and, and all the temptations and all the influences. And work can be a hard place, right? It can be a very hard place, and the different conversations that go on, and different worldviews, and different thoughts that go on. And so there's temptation, right? The love of money, attachment to the things of this world, we can get tempted with that. Preoccupation with earthly interest or our own self-interest instead of things above and eternal matters in the kingdom of God. You think about it, the majority of people we work with, right, some 90% plus of people that we work with, right, are not thinking eternally. And so daily when we go into that place of work, that influence is there. And so this is so significant. As we're running the race, we've got to constantly think, does this mindset, does this worldview that I'm hearing, right, does it help me run the race? These influences, the, the immorality around me, I, I've, I've got to throw all this to a side and not be tempted into it. So I run with endurance. I run with this long obedience in the same direction. So what are those things that are entangling us? What are those things that are weighing us down in this life that are seeking to weaken us? Are there temptations at work that are causing us 
to stumble. There are people, there are influences around us that are weighing us down or weakening us in the race. Here's what I encourage you to do. Pray, right? Pray. Pray, and, and as you go into that place of work, maybe one of your prayers or maybe the thing you go to is this text, and you say, Lord, help me to fix my eyes on you. Help me to fix my eyes on you. And help me to honor you in all that I do. That I would seek to be holy as you are holy in my work. Ask the Lord to help you to be that salt and light. To be the light of the world. And so that moral compass is significant. Otherwise, our jobs will corrupt us. Otherwise, the influence of others will cause us to drift. The fourth thing I want us to see is this, that gospel faith gives us a new worldview of the workplace. A new worldview of the workplace. And, and here's what I want us to see is, is, is to understand why do we work? What, what's the goal of our work? And, and I want, to, want us to look at Jesus. Look at Hebrews 12 too. Look at how Jesus worked and, and w- what he worked for. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of God at the throne of God. And so Jesus worked, and his work was to do what? Ultimately, when you think about what he did here, was to serve others. It was about others. Now Jesus lived and he worked and he went to the cross, rose again, sat right at the hand of God, ultimately for the glory of God. All things are for the glory of God. But when you look at specifically how it influenced others, he served others for the glory of God and he did it with all that he had, even his own life. And so think about the work that Jesus did. He perfected faith. How do you do that? In the sense that he finished his course of living by faith, his own life. He, he lived and modeled to us what faith looks like. Um, as he sat down triumphantly at the right hand of God, uh, he, he finished that work of living faithfully, so he perfected that. He's the author and perfecter of faith by his sufferings as well. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 tells us, For it was fitting for him, Jesus, for whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. And so you think about the work that he did, it was to bring sons to glory, right? People to faith, to, to know God. And then it says in Hebrews 2.10, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. And so Jesus suffered, right? As that perfect author of our faith, to bring us to glory. And then in verse Two, chapter 12, it says he endured the cross, despising shame. So Jesus is the foundation of our faith from start to finish. He's our leader. He's our captain. He's our pioneer of faith. And he did such by what? Enduring the cross and despising shame. And so it is looking to him in faith that we are saved, and he authored the faith that saved us and gifted it to us. And so Jesus, as the example of living by faith for us, he trusted the Father and committed his life to the Father's will. That's why John 4, 34, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. 
So Jesus disregarded the shame of dying on the cross so that sinners would be welcome in heaven. And so Jesus, he worked to serve others, to serve you and I with his life so that we could know God and have a relationship with him. We have to have that same view of work, of what we do. We must see our work as serving others. Now, for some of us that might be in here, we might be saying, I don't know how I can see my work as serving others. Well, well think about it this way. Does your place of work produce something, a product, right? And so you got to think, how can I serve others through this product? Um, does your place of work provide a service of some sort? And so, so how can I serve others through this service? Or, or maybe you employ people. Maybe you oversee a team. Or maybe you employ people. Um, you're maybe the boss or whatever, and you're in charge of, of people. And so it even influences a, this kind of worldview of providing fair financial rewards to those we employ, those we give oversight to, if that's within our role. It's also providing opportunities for others to exercise their gifts and and talents. And so we're serving others even in our own place of of work as well. We must see this work this way. We we must have this worldview. Otherwise, here's what work becomes. It, 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 It ends up controlling us. It ends up having mastery over us. Because what happens is, is, is work just becomes about you and I, right? Just, or just about me. We become self-centered. We, we become greedy. Um, it becomes just about making a, a paycheck. It becomes about self-advancement. Instead, work should be seen as something we do for others. That's what our jobs are for. It, it, how do we serve others in our workplace, in, in our jobs? And so Jesus had that view. And we see that through his walk to the cross and giving and laying down his life for us. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing from selfish, selfishness excuse me, or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. What if every boss, CEO, or every business leader thought that way? Game changer. What if every employee thought that way? Game changer. Changer. That would change your place of work. And it's how all of us are to work. And so our work is an opportunity to seek the peace, the well-being of our organizations, the places we work, even our communities, even our cities, even our nations. I mean, that's the kind of influence we can have in our places of work. So we must see work this way and not just about our personal achievements or advancement or otherwise our work will rule us or control us. Okay? And so when we lack the heart of service for others in our work, we've got to remember the gospel. And we've got to look at Jesus and fix our eyes on him and be like him in our work. The last thing I want us to see in the fifth thing, and this is one of my favorite parts of, of this text. In Hebrews 12, 2, it tells us this, that Jesus were to fix our eyes on him, the author, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, right, for joy set before him, endured the cross. And so the last thing I want to see is that, that our gospel faith, our, our belief in Jesus Christ gives us hope. Gives us hope. It gives us hope. As Jesus went to the cross, 
There were many frustrations, right? With his enemies, even his disciples. But Jesus had great hope. He modeled that. He had great hope about what was to come, and it gave him much joy, even in the face of suffering. Think about Jesus endured the cross by the hope of joy. He pursued the greatest joy, the joy of being exalted at God's right hand with all the redeemed. And he entrusted himself to his Father, even in the midst of suffering. And he banked his hope on the resurrection and all the joy of reuniting with his Father and redemption of his people. And so Jesus' race and his work of pioneering and perfecting faith was sustained by what? By joy as he served others for the glory of God. And so should it be for us that our race of faith, as we set our eyes on Christ and his indescribable, unending joy, that it would be ours as well as we finish our race. So here's what this means for us when it comes to our places of work and and jobs. we got to remember, we're, we're not home yet, right? This is not our destiny. That the best is truly yet to come. Jesus has promised that he will come again, that he will come back. And when he does, he will restore everything. With new heavens and new earth, he will restore everything, even work. Until then, there will be struggles. There will be struggles at the workplace, right? There will be. I mean, you think about, I mean, that's the way it's been ever since Genesis Three in Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel, there's, there's always going to be struggles at our places of work until Jesus returns again. We may not be working our dream job right now. That may frustrate us. Things at work may be tough. The guy next to us in the cubicle may be driving us nuts, right? I mean, all these different issues. Remember what is to come. Have hope in the face of frustrations. Because if we don't, here's what happens. If we don't, we can let work crush us. We can let our places of work and the people we work with us rob us of our joy. But instead have hope about what is to come. Keep your eyes fixed on that fact that Jesus, one day, he's going to return again, right? And new heavens and new earth, everything will be restored. And and may that give you joy. That's what gave Jesus joy, is is he saw what was to come. He, He saw that by how he served others with giving his life and laying his life down, was going to change their life. They were going to become new creations, and they were going to know God because of him and because he despised shame. He endured and he suffered death on a cross, and he sat at the right hand of God, finishing, completing the work of God that God had for him to do. And through that, it would bring many sons and daughters to glory, to be with him forever. He saw that, and he he knew what was to come, that God would restore all things in time, and we're still waiting for that, but that gave him joy. That should be our joy as well. We should have that same joy. So instead, as we face those frustrations, instead of grumbling, 
right? And letting the weight of the workplace weigh us down. May we instead, with great joy, produce a testimony to those around us. And so, if you lack joy this morning in your work, be reminded of the gospel. Be reminded of the gospel. As we wrap up, I want to challenge us to think about what the writer says here. And it it really is all about our eyes. It's about our perspective. How we see things. And and what are they on? Do we merely have the world's short-term perspective? Or do we have God's long-term perspective? Do we see things through the lens of eternity? Randy Alcorn put it this way. He says, life is a dot. A brief window of opportunity. Life is in heaven, and ultimately on the new earth is a line going out from that dot. For in light of eternity's long tomorrow, even the little choices we make become tremendously important. You see, when we see life and we look at things through the lens of eternity, what we do at work, even even the petty things that, that may seem small, they matter. They matter. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we fix our eyes on the joy of eternity, we have this new, changed, transformed perspective, seeing things such as maybe washing dishes, doing laundry, repairing the car, um, daily activities even, even the small things at work. We, We see that they have an eternal contribution, an investment in God's eternal plan. And so what does all this mean? And I want you to see this this morning, that that God, that that Jesus cares about your work and the work that you do. He cares about the job that you have. He he cares about the people working around you. And ultimately, he cares about you. He cares about you. And he wants you to remember that where your identity is, is found in him. He wants you to know that the work you do, that it's not something trivial, that it has purpose, it has great value. And as you do go about your job, he he wants you to be holy as he is holy, to not let sin or the influence of others weigh you down as you seek to live for him. And he wants you to work, to do your job in serving others, to put the interest of others above your own. And as you do that, to endure it with joy, as you know that one day Jesus is coming again and he's going to restore all things. And even in the face of frustrations now, you can have joy. You can have joy. And so that's what the gospel does. That's how it influences us, even in our places of work. And so this morning, I, I just want to ask you, do you have faith? Do you have that kind of faith? Have you trusted in Christ, in his death, Have you trusted in him as your redeemer, one who has purchased salvation for you? Have you trusted in him this morning? The Bible tells us that those who confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, that they will be saved. And so do you have that kind of faith this morning in Christ? Have you trusted in him? I I pray that you you have. If you haven't, uh, now's a great time 
this morning to, to admit to Christ your need for him, that you are a sinner, that you've fallen short of his standard, of his holiness, and that you need Jesus to save you and to redeem you, and that you would believe in him and be called now a child of God. And so may that be your new identity. And that's what God wants for you. And so if you've never trusted in Christ before, I pray this morning that God would turn your heart to him and draw you to himself, and that you would trust in him. For the rest of us, I pray that when Monday comes, right, maybe not this week, maybe Tuesday, right, that, hey, in, in all the different work we do, whether it's around the house, in the house, whether it's going off to the workplace, whatever it is, that we would fix our eyes on Christ and know that our faith in Christ, our belief in the gospel influences the work we do. Let me pray.